Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com you're the mom the maid the keeper of the cookies you do it all and you look good doing it it's parenthood on a mother level here's your host denise hanitka hi everyone this is episode 113 of On a Mother Level. I'm your host, Denise Sinitka, and I'm so glad you are back for another great conversation with a mom in the Quad Cities, and you're really going to like this one. My guest today is Katie Thompson. She describes herself as a curator at a business called The Market, A Journey to Joy. And if you've ever been to The Market, it's a big conglomeration of all kinds of different vendors and crafters and different boutiques all in one place. And Katie has now opened her second location, the Market 2, which is in Leclerc. And so now she has a presence on both sides of the river. And we talk about how she got to be a small business owner because she was in the nonprofit space and got a lot of fulfillment out of that. And so now, as an entrepreneur, she's taking those same skills that helped her thrive in the nonprofit world, and she's creating her own business dreams, as well as helping advance the business dreams of 40 other small businesses and creators. Katie is one of those people I have a lot of them on this podcast who come to me and talk to me about their pivots and their game-changing moments in life and how motherhood and parenthood factors into all of that. And they come to me at just the right time. Just today, I got a text message from someone I interviewed a couple of weeks ago, and she asked me if I was doing okay, and she sensed from our one meeting that I'm restless. And it almost made me fall over at my desk to get that because she'd met me one day at one time and sort of in this text message summed up everything that I've been feeling in my head uh, for a really long time. And the universe keeps sending these people to me, these messengers to tell me about the inner thoughts in my head. And so I will admit I'm a little spooked right now Kind of the way I felt after talking to Katie because she just spoke to so many of the things that I was feeling. And so that's why I like to share these conversations with you because I think they might speak to you the same way that they speak to me. One day I'll explain all of these crazy inner thoughts that I have and it will become very clear perhaps to both of us what the heck I'm talking about. So in this episode, you're going to hear how Katie created the market, the pivot that took her out of nonprofits about how she looks back on the times of uncertainty and why they have much more clarity now. How she went from growing up as an only child to being a stepmom of four. She now has a daughter herself. She became a grandmother at the age of 35. And overall, this conversation is about Katie's mantra and her life philosophy of learning to let things flow. Stop forcing things and allowing them to come into your life in the right timing and as a result of the opportunities you've created for yourself. So a lot of entrepreneurial talk, a lot of putting some puzzle pieces together, and a little bit of parenthood too. 
So here we go. This is Katie Thompson from The Market, A Journey to Joy. I love when people have a pivot point, when people have something that happens in their life and they go, I'm doing something different. And that pivot led you to where you are today as the curator of the markets, your own small business. And so can we talk about that pivot? What were you doing before the pivot? I had worked in the nonprofit industry for nearly 10 years. I thought that My life would stay in the nonprofit world, in particular, working with youth forever from that point until the end of eternity for me. And unfortunately, there there was a series of events that led me out of the nonprofit world. And I really had to sit and think about what that meant for me as an individual, um, knowing that my entire adult life had been wrapped around service to the community. And understanding that a pivot did not mean an end to who I am and who I am in my existence in the Quad City community. And so I really spent a lot of time um, in my world. It was a lot of time sitting and thinking. In some people's worlds, they're like that. It was a blink of time. But the market came into existence based on a trip that I went on with some friends and my husband. And I came back like... I'm going to knock it out of the park and we're going to figure out where I'm going with life. And so I switched from nonprofit to for-profit, but still really community driven. You said something so huge. It is not your existence. What you were doing is not who you are. It's a huge part of what your day was made of, but it's not who you are. And I, I think that resonates with me in particular because you spend so much time doing this thing and it does feel like it is you. You forget that there is so much more of you that eight to five might have some definition about your being, but it's not 100% who you are. I think core values are really hard when you come from a career or an industry that you really have to be that person deep down inside of you. Otherwise it just doesn't translate properly. So in the nonprofit world in particular, like you really have to love the service above self aspect of that industry. And so it is part of your core value and is part of who you are, but differentiating when you leave work that you can still have the core values, but that day-to-day operation isn't who you are. So what are the core values do you think you took into your new venture? What are those things that did not change? I think that's pretty simple for me. What did not change is people first an individual first. It's not a collective. So in the market, we are a collective. It's a collective of small businesses. But to me, there are 40 plus individuals that come first above the collective. Because if one person is out of sync, everything falls out of sync. And that's who I was before too. So in the nonprofit industry, it was each child, not the collection of children, but each child that was important. And so I carried that right over. And being a cheerleader, it's really funny. If you look at my makeup, astrologically looking at who I was since birth, cheerleader is a true definition that if I can amplify your voice for you, that's what I want to do. Well, that speaks so perfectly to what you are as the curator of the market, except with children, it's small makers and vendors and people with, with, um, with a product to share. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I have to be their biggest cheerleader. I have to believe in each of their products. I have to believe in their business. And we all know bad days exist, or we think like, why am I doing this? So if the makers have those type of days, I really need to be a support system for them to say, you can keep going on. You can keep doing this. So when you opened the market, that's how you came on my radar, because I remember seeing some sort of social media posting that was like, I have this huge space. It's in the, um, was it even called like the spotlight theater building or like, it was was just like the Scottish, right. You know? And so it was like, I have this space and it's in this like underutilized, gorgeous building in the heart of downtown Moline. And I'm like, what is this girl up to? Like, what is she doing in this strange little space? And you called it the market, a journey to joy. And that name was purposeful. Tell me about it. 
I grew up in Joy, Illinois. So there's key one to the joy part. The journey part is coming from that pivot that we just discussed that when I was transitioning out of nonprofit, it felt doom and gloom. It felt very dark. And I think that in each person's life, we have that chapter. Every chapter, you know, looks different for everyone's book, but we all have one of those chapters where we think, oh my gosh, will the pages just end for me? And can I get to the joyful part of this? And that's where I was in that transition of life. I was getting through that journey. I was trying to get to the joyful part and really home, right? Like I don't, I don't have an intention of moving back to joy, but it is my roots and it's where my values came from. It's where I grew as a person and got to blossom. And I think that each person should have that, you know, that pull, that pull to home. And I wanted the market to have that feeling. So when you walk in, I want you to feel a sense of peace and a sense of rest a place that you can slow down. And to me, that's the definition of home, a place where you can rest and slow down. Yeah. Okay. So I feel like I'm in one of those periods right now where you're kind of like, I don't know where this leads. I don't know if this is the beginning of a chapter, if this is the end of one. And so I wonder if you might take me back to like when you were really in the thick of it, like it's easy now that you have like a successful thing happening to be like in hindsight, like, yeah, it all came together for me. But can you, can you think of like a particularly low point or where you're like, this, none of this is making sense. And what pushed you through that? Yeah, uh, that's, that's a lot. I know that's, I know that's a big question. (laughs) There are several components to that, of course. So it's easier now to see the darker chapter inside that dark part of life or that confusing, like, how am I going? Where am I going? What am I doing? I didn't really know that that was happening. Um, And quite honestly, in regard to the mental health matters of it, I didn't want to listen to people either. It can be stubborn. And so if anyone tried to approach me and say, hey, you just don't seem like yourself or do you need some help here? I just refused it. I didn't want that to be happening in my life. And I really lived and still have to remind myself that Our sadness or our hard places don't have to be comparisons. So we talk so often about when we're going through a hard time, we'll say things like, well, yes, I'm going through this, but so-and-so is going through something different and that's so much worse. And so I shouldn't, I shouldn't be so concerned or you shouldn't be so concerned about my hard spot. And where I started to see a shift in that was we don't do that with people's version of happy. We never say, oh, I shouldn't be happy because Denise has something going on where she should be far happier than me, right? So why are we doing it with our sadness? So for me, the dark chapter was closing a nonprofit organization that I worked for. Uh, My boss had committed federal fraud. And I had to virtually tell 30 people, you no longer have a job, neither do I. And we're from the Quad Cities, which is a big, small town, and we're all going to need to overcome this. And through that process, I had a newborn baby. She was two to three months old at the time where everything started happening. And we know like postpartum is already hard. And then you're adding a layer of complexity on top of it. So I didn't know that dark was dark. I didn't know that hard was hard, but when the market was being formed, I knew that I needed something different. And even in that time of success, and I think this is key for people to hear in the time of success. So the market is launching, the community is buzzing, great things are happening. And Katie has this great big smile. I look back on 2019 and I have no clue what happened. I had a great face in public, right? And great things were happening. I was so sad in my core and I had work to do to get past that. But I think the key part that I'm trying to make sure people hear is you don't always know that's happening and you don't always know that you need more 
because the exterior looks one way. Yeah. Oh, wow. And Katie, that's when I met you is 2019. Yeah. Yep. And so people, that's what people were seeing. Right. And it's not that you're creating a facade. It's who you think you should be at that time. I should be happy. Great things are happening. You know, this business is booming and the community is excited about it. It doesn't mean though that internally something doesn't feel different. And so I think in this day and age, we talk so much about people being fake right? Like they, they put a face on, they put a mask on, they act one way, but there's something totally different. And we use that so generically and so vastly when really, have we ever looked at it as a coat of armor that we're just, that someone's just trying to protect themselves at that point? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. How old is your daughter when the market really gets going then? She was two okay. to think of birthdays. Yeah. So she was two the month that the market opened. It was okay. the month as her birthday. Yeah. Did some of that postpartum period kind of even out by then, by the time that you're opening the market? I think so a little bit. I think the, the true postpartum, as far as, um, being pregnant, no longer being pregnant, that was balancing. I also didn't know that my birth control that I got on after having my daughter really took a toll on my body. And it wasn't until stepping off the birth control that I realized, oh, I wasn't able to balance myself out. And that's something we don't talk a lot about. There's, there's the hot topics and there's the buttons about birth control, but there's no way to really study our personal effects on it until you're either on or off. So at the time the market was opening, I do think medically something should have shifted as far as my birth control too. Well, I just had two conversations with two different women who focus on hormones and cycle syncing and things like that. So those episodes will actually air before this one does. Um, but yeah, I feel like there's such um, an emphasis and a maybe not an emphasis, but like an awakening of like women's bodies and, and why we're feeling the way we feel sometimes. So those are two really, really interesting conversations. And they, it stands out to me that you're saying that too no one talks about that to you. You know, they just, Oh, well you have a young child. You have a lot on your plate. Right. I'm going to feel like I'm going crazy the whole time. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So at this time that you're starting the market, were you doing the same work schedule that you do now with Chuck being away a lot? Yeah. So (laughs) life had shifted so much. We went from being a household where Chuck, my husband was at home most evenings, then to switching to, he was on the road the majority of the time. And my mom is one of Charlie's primary baby. Well, she is Charlie's babysitter. And so there's also this really different dynamic. Um, when your mom is your babysitter and I'm an only child. So this is like the grandbaby, right? (laughs) And you still have this sense of obligation and guilt though of, I don't want to consume all of my parents' time by asking them to babysit. But at the same time, my daughter's getting literally the best life by having grandma as a babysitter. So work-life balance is really confusing. To this day? (laughs) To this day. It's really confusing to this day, Uh, which I feel like sometimes I need to step back and be like, this is actually a really cool life. Um, I don't clock in. I don't clock out, so to say, unless I'm working at the counter, of course, at the shop. But my life is kind of like dice. Like you toss it one day, you know, you roll sixes and the next day you roll sevens and you just go with it. And it can be really exciting and really fun. It's not for everyone. Yeah, that would drive some people crazy. You know what I mean? Absolutely. My paper planner would just skyrocket some people's anxiety. (laughs) Can you tell me a little bit about your relationship with your husband? How in meeting and marrying Chuck, you exploded into a big family. Yeah. You joined a big bunch. I did. So I went from being an only child and knowing the life of a very small family, because even my aunts and uncles 
with their children were we're just all very small families. And so then I meet Chuck, we get married and along come four kids with four vastly different personalities. And as much as uh, we tease that, like I'm a very chatty person these days, I actually, my household is pretty quiet, you know, I'm from a pretty quiet household. And then I joined the Thompson family. That's like loud and big and boisterous and all four kids are so unique. The four big kids are so unique. They're all so cool in their own ways, but it was a, it was a lot. The kitchen is a very loud place when they're all here. (laughs) Was that intimidating? How did you work to fit in? Yeah, I'm still working on that. Um, So we're seven years into this and we had teenagers, preteens, and elementary kids at the time that we got together. So now we're at, you know, early twenties into high school and I'm still getting to understand their personalities and be really mindful and respectful of my role in their lives. Every step parenting situation is different. Some step parents need to be a major force in the life of the child and others need to you know, kind of stay on the sideline. And I am very much a sideline step parent. I will be there when they want me to be there. I'll be there when they need me to be there. But their mom is a dynamic woman. And she's like, you know, when you think of like, you were made to be a mom, she was very much like she is, she's just a mom at her core. She's so, so, so good. And so I have really had to work with the kids on just being who they need me to be. And that that's four different roles in itself. Well, then that takes, uh, for lack of a better term, like a checking of your ego. You know what I mean? Like you can't walk in with any preconceived notions about who you should or even really want to be in some respects. Yeah, yeah. And I think I did have an idea of what I thought step parenting would be. Um, but then they're not babies, right? So even discipline looks vastly different. I really take a back seat on that. It's awkward to take a front seat because they have a way that they were raised. And I, I just have to be mindful and respectful of that. And now with the ages that they're at, it's more being like a listening ear and, you know, nodding along and laughing a lot of like just letting it roll with the punches and move forward. Well, it's not like there's great um, media influences, particularly if you're a nineties child and you grew up with all the movies about the, the Olsen twins and their beautiful dad. And then the stepmom comes along and she's horrible, but she's beautiful, but she's awful. And she's taking the dad away. And like, that was like our view of stepmoming when we grew yeah. up, you know, if you didn't have a stepmom in your life. Right. Yeah. And there's definitely a, there's a, always a fine line always. And anyone I've talked to, that's a step parent. We all have a, our own fine line. You know, each of the kids, they operate different in how they want to talk about their past with their parents and how they want you to handle situations. And really it's just going to vary family to family and kid to kid. Yeah. And so you walked into this stepmom situation before you were even a parent yourself. Yes. Yeah. So I um, became a step parent to teenagers before birthing a child, um, which is interesting. I, Sienna blazed a path. She is our oldest um, and she is the most free-spirited, loving. She's big in all sorts of ways that are fantastic. Her heart's enormous. Her personality's big. She is loud, but she trained me up. She definitely trained me up because she is that free spirit. You know, she's not the quiet kid that is reading a book in the corner by any means. So I feel like by going straight into teenage years, she was like, Hey, Katie, I'm going to teach you what it's going to be like with Charlie. So hold the reins tight. (laughs) (laughs) And so were there any nerves then adding to the family? Because you already had figured out what your role or figuring out what your role was going to be a stepmom. And now 
now now the role's changing by bringing in a baby into the mix. What was that yeah. like? It was interesting. The age gap um, was what was a little bit intimidating. Not so much with Sienna and Corbin, our oldest Jew, but chasing Canyon in particular. Um, Canyon had been the baby of the family for 10 years. And so how was he going to mold and accept an infant in his house that was, you know, receiving the attention of the littlest one. And I was pleasantly surprised. I had a lot of nerves about it, but there's no way to plan. You can't plan. You just have to go with the flow of it. And we got, we just got lucky. Quite honestly, Canyon accepted the role of being a big brother so well. And one of my most precious memories of Canyon is in the hospital holding his baby sister and he was sneaking a kiss. And, you know, at the time it was like, you know, he's at that stage where he's not a little kid anymore, but he's not a big kid either. And the gentleness of him sneaking the kiss was the most precious memory that will forever be ingrained for me. And he's, he's kept that role. I mean, now he's definitely the big brother that picks on his little sister at times, but to her, they're the light of her eyes. Uh, You say the boys are coming and it is like Christmas day. (laughs) (laughs) And so part of joining a family that has older kids means that you became a very young grandma. Yes. Uh, that is the weirdest word for a 35 year old to say. Um, and we laughed about it as soon as the first grandbaby was on his way of like, I can't be called grandma. Like I can't, I can't be grandma. And the dynamic is odd, right? Like when you become a grandparent, most of the time you're accepting a grandparent role and you know, you're doing the spoiling and the running around around, but we still have, you know, just out of toddler, we have a preschooler. And so we're still in the running around years. So Charlie is lucky in the sense that she has a niece and nephew that are close in age. Um, so she'll have playmates growing up, but for us as grandparents, it is a different dynamic. Yeah. So do you go with grandma? Do you have a different name that you prefer? Gigi. Gigi's safe. It still implies, but you know, grandma just feels like my hair is not appropriate. My level of wrinkles aren't appropriate either. So So when it comes to Charlie, what level of parenthood are you at right now? What's what makes life challenging for you as a mom? I have to say Charlie coming into four-year-old life I enjoy the, I'm enjoying this stage, like the creativity and the, the independence. I can hang here. Like I can, <laughs> I can do for infant years and toddler years were not my jam. Um, I can't, um, people who have multiple infants, how they do it and how they survive. I don't understand. So the challenges right now, quite honestly, are probably getting from A to B to C um, in our daily routine and not feeling like I might lose my mind by having like to find the gloves and find the hat and get the coat on and get out the door in a timely manner. Um, That's probably the hardest part Yeah, because she has to come first, right? Like her baseline in school right now is so important to me. Her learning about who she is, as far as her interests, does she like gymnastics? Does she like t-ball? I want to be the parent that allows her to explore all of that without going crazy, trying to do it or make it so that our life becomes harder. (laughs) Yeah. So you're talking about like, how do I put her in a dance class without evenings becoming a tizzy just so we can explore this? Right. Like, how do you even get there? I've had the conversation so many times recently of, okay, so next year with kindergarten, I get off work at five from the shop, but she gets out of school at three and there's no busing available. And I only need after school care two times a week, not five times a week, but the program makes you sign up for all like, what on earth are you supposed to do? And then I try to remind myself millions of people have done this and it will all be okay, but it's really confusing when you're in the thick of it. You know, it just dawned on me the other day that we're going to be in the same situation because Abram is going to kindergarten in the fall. So I'm like, all right, 
all right, that means we'll have one in daycare and then one will like have school stop and then, okay, how do I get this child to the daycare? Or do I not want to do that? Do I want to, I have to figure this out by August. And I mean, I realize it's only February, but like, it feels like, what am I supposed to, yeah. Like, what am I supposed to do about this? (laughs) Yeah, I totally understand. And the thing is you will figure it out, right? Like this year, Charlie goes to half day preschool three times a week. When I signed her up, everyone was like, are you sure? Because it seems like a really hard schedule to maintain. And because like we have alluded to already, Chuck works on the road. So I am the Uber driver of the family to get her everywhere during the week. And we've made it work. I mean, I have had to make the desperate phone calls to my parents of like, I really can't get her from school today. Can you help? And I'm so lucky because I know not everyone has someone right down the road that they can call. And I say right down the road, my parents live an hour away, but we make it work. Yeah. So do you, as a small business owner, do you feel like, well, first of all, you were, let's go back a minute because you were like every other small business owner trying to guide these people through a pandemic. And Mm -hmm. I remember those early days when we were like, okay, we got to figure out how to keep small businesses afloat. There was a huge effort, especially locally here to make sure that our small businesses made it through. So here we are, we're coming up on the two-year anniversary of when everything went wackadoo. (laughs) When you look back, like what was the hardest part of those early days for you guys as a small business? For the market in particular, the hardest part was the sense of responsibility to all the small businesses within the market. Right. So it wasn't just about me and you know, that's fine that you had a, it's just about me moment for small businesses because it truly was, it was your livelihood. You were trying to figure out how to make it work. I had this extreme weight on my shoulders of There are 40 people and their households have an income, you know, that is dependent on this in some way, shape or form. How do I shut down without shutting down? And our whole principle is that you come to the store. It's not an online based store. And I never wanted it to be an online based store. We did get really um, lucky in the sense that the Quad City community really did pour into small businesses during that time. And for us though, it was a full shift. So it was 100% in-person to 100% online. And we didn't have the platforms set up for that. So it was like at expedited speed because all I could think during that first two, you know, the first two weeks shut down was, oh my gosh, we just have to make it you know, 14 days, if we can make it 14 days, and then it turned into, if we can just make it 30 days and there's overhead involved, you know, it's not, this isn't in your basement or, you know, it, there's a lot of overhead. So that part, the weight of knowing that other people's livelihoods depended on me too, was pretty heavy. What came out of that though, was the biggest boom that I never expected. I thought that the market would be, you know, it would be successful. It would be a great place. I think everyone, you know, you go into business to be successful, not for it to not work out. But what we have seen over the past two years has been absolutely incredible. Obviously businesses grow, you know, people start to learn about you. They frequent you more often. They're interested in what you're doing. But for us in regard to small business, I think the collaborative effort of Quad City small businesses has been extreme. So people that would normally be your competitor, we have really found that it's community over competition, that there's room for all of us. And if we can find a way to positively speak about one another, then we'll all come out at a good angle. Yeah. Look, I think we're a small enough community that there really can't be too many of one thing because you find something unique about each of those places, you know? Yeah. There can be a million clothing boutiques, 
it's fine for there to be a million clothing boutiques because there's so many different personal styles within those clothing boutiques. And so as long as we can keep looking at that, that your business is unique to you and what you offer your clients, then we can definitely build on one another. How many of your vendors are doing their specific booth as like their main source of income? And how many are just like, really cool side hustles and just like different creative outlets for people. I haven't done the math for a while on that, but I would go roughly a quarter of our businesses. This is one of their primary streams of income, if not their, their actual primary stream of income. And then the rest are just kind of filtered down from it's a support to the family income down to like, this is a hobby. It might never really take off and be something big, but the quarter of the people. So I'd say probably seven to 10 vendors that we have, they have big aspirations for their businesses, whether it is multiple storefronts strung out throughout the Midwest area um, becoming an international shipping, you know, having international shipping available of their products. They have big, big goals that are really fun to listen to. The hobbyists are fun too, but the people with the big goals, they're movers and shakers. They probably kind of keep you in check too, like keep you motivated. Like, Hey, we can't grow unless you grow. And we all have to be doing this together. Absolutely. And it's a constant reminder of, I feel like I have a lot on my plate. They're actually making product when they have time to do their marketing and make the product and do life is beyond me, but they're killing it. Well, and you're about to add to your plate too, because you have a second location coming up and it's going to be in LeClaire, which if you're not familiar with this area, LeClaire is like where you want to have a shopping presence, because that's where people are there to like walk around, spend some money, find some cool things. I feel like you have found Mecca in this very cool home in LeClaire. It was an accident. Um, And I think that Going back to like life stages, I'm in a life stage right now where I'm just letting things come to me instead of trying to force them to work or force them to happen. And I'll be darned that that works out pretty nicely. So I had a woman approach me about possibly partnering together in LeClaire in a house. And it ended up that for her, you know, it just wasn't the right time of life. And for me, what I found was LeClaire is awesome. The people that are vested in LeClaire are these amazing, like small towners that have this big energy and big faith in their Cody Street, you know, area. And it's really, really dynamic. The house that we're going into is technically at what would be like the end of the shopping center. But LeClaire has such large scale plans for increasing the traffic flow and moving people along and getting a lot of additions in that I can't wait to be a part of that community. Oh, that's cool. I hadn't heard about some of these plans in LeClaire. Maybe that's something we should be calling on. Yes, I think you should. (laughs) Um, Okay. So what you just said really stood out to me though about allowing things to come to you and not forcing them because that is sort of my, I don't know why everyone's talking about this whole word of the year. And of course I jumped right on it and I'm like, I'll do a word of the year. So my word of the year is surrender. It's taking a step back and realizing that I cannot control other people's behavior. I cannot control anybody's decisions and that in surrender, you allow things that are meant for you to come to you because things that are not meant for you need to just move along. So that's, that's my word of the year. And so I feel like that's something that's, that's also speaking to you in this moment. The word of the year is just a tricky little beast. I know it's so stupid. It's like such like an Instagram thing, but it's, it's fine. I've done it for years. I've done it. Really? I'm so sorry. Yep. No, no, it never works for me. Like I've tried taping it to my mirror. I've tried writing it in my planner. It doesn't work. I 365 days is a long time to stick to one word, but whatever. Um, so I don't have a word this year because it was too hard to figure it out. And like, that feels like a big decision. One word for a whole year. Anyway, I am in, I'm in that stage 
of surrender with you. And I think where it came uh, for me is that I have had many sessions with a spiritualist to look at my astrology. And many times I roll my eyes. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, that's, that's right. And this year though, I finally had like a, a drop in my shoulders where I felt very free to just be me and like, take it or leave it. And you might really love me and I might be your shot of whiskey, or you might really hate a shot of whiskey and either way, that's, that's totally fine. But the forcing of nature is getting me nowhere. It's causing me stress. It's causing me anxiousness. Um, and that's been my whole life, right? Like I'm an Enneagram three. I think I naturally just force things to happen. The square will fit in the circle hole. And I have just admitted to a friend, the newspaper used to run the top 40 under 40. And, you know, it was the quad citizens that were movers and shakers. They were doing big things. They're under 40. And I think since I've been a teenager, I've had in my head, like, you will be top 40 under 40. You will be top 40 under 40. Why? I don't know, because it felt like I needed to achieve that. But when I look at the times where I am taking a square, forcing it into the circle hole, dang, life is hard. It's just really, really hard. And there's layers of that complexity that are so not needed. And I am someone's part of the top 40 under 40. It doesn't have to be in the newspaper for it to be true. You know, someone out there is like, there she is. So I just stopped. And when I stopped, things just started happening. And if I allow myself to flow with it, which is also very hard to just flow with it when you're not a go with the flow person, the rest of the puzzle just starts to click. You make it, you make it just sound so easy and you make yourself sound very patient. I'm not, (laughs) I'm not a patient person. I am not. Um, I have spent a lot of time learning about who I am what I need to feel better and feel healthier uh, mentally and emotionally. There are definitely days that I backtrack and then try to move forward. And that's the whole point, right? Like take two steps back, as long as you keep taking one step forward, you're not going back to the beginning at least. Yeah. We talked on Instagram. That reminds me about like exploring some of the astrological Is that the right word? (laughs) Uh, Tell me a little bit more about some of the work you're doing in that, in that realm. So I'm still very, very new. I am not um, what someone would consider crunchy in this category at all. I think though, that we all need something to believe in and we all fall differently, right? Like the Bible in particular can be looked at read in so many different ways. And we have our own way to receive that knowledge and to pick it apart. And I think astrology is the same way. So when you look at your astrological makeup, and in particular, working with a spiritualist who has been able to do much more research, um, and get to know you and your birth chart and your birth order, letting that just be a guide for you. So it's not doom and gloom, which is what I often hear of like, what if she tells me something bad? It's just your chart and how you're going to flow and whether you're willing to accept that the world is offering you paths. It's still free will. Like you're still choosing your own path, but some things are destined for you. And it doesn't mean destiny in a sense of like, you're going to have five kids and you're going to be a reporter, you know, (laughs) it's more so things like family is of high value and importance to you or, you know, and then determining what that means for you in particular. So for me and the go with the flow style has been that um, in my chart, there is a part where life was hard and sure enough, (laughs) It was hard. And on the other end of it, things got easier and how to ease into that easy really focused a lot on communication 
And so I had to look deep at myself and my levels of communication. So, so many times we talk about, well, we talk all the time. So we communicate. That's not communicating. You know, we sure we can run our mouths all we want, but it doesn't mean that we're truly communicating. So I think that's where I had to get had to get very open. And so that's how I received communication in my chart was that it meant I had to be more open and be more vulnerable with who I am. Yeah. I know it sounds to a lot of people, like, especially my husband, like it sounds very woo woo. Like it's, you know, it sounds, (laughs) it sounds sort of insane, but, but you're right. I feel like looking into this sort of thing almost gives you permission to acknowledge things you already know about yourself. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? It gives you some like strange validation in places that you're not like allowing yourself to receive validation. And, um, and yeah, it's not like, you know, the, the hands of fate, you know, work regardless of what it is that you put into it. it. It pulls back into that, that concept of surrender where what's meant for you will not pass you by. Meanwhile, if you try to force things to be meant for you, it's not going to work out. Exactly. Timing. Life's all about timing. And there might be a little destiny involved in that too. I've had some really, really deep and heavy conversations with moms in the past couple of episodes. And every single time I'm done with them, I'm always like the universe sent me this person to have this conversation on this day. And I just feel like you are another like affirmation of that being true with this podcast. I, I always hear what I need to hear from the person on the other end of the screen. And I only wish I could do these stupid things in person because it would just be that much more impactful for me. Yeah, absolutely. You have had some really dynamic stories and people that are from all walks of life, which I think is really nice for listeners too, that there's always a shared experience, even though our experiences are all individual. Yeah. And that's what this whole thing is about. It's just about finding ways to relate to people who seemingly, you know, on paper, you have nothing in common with. And at the end of the day, always find something really in common with the other mom, which is, it just, it's very cool for me. Yeah, that would be. How do you want to wrap things up, Katie? Where do you want to leave people? Mm. Oh, that's hard. That's really (laughs) hard. I can ask you to tell, um, tell the story of that cool experience you had in the um, junior high class the other day. Is that a cool story? That's a cool story. From the nonprofit industry, I have gained two really close sisters, one really close brother. They were coworkers who became my family. And even now, years down the road, we've remained family. So two of them are teachers in the Rock Island Milan School District. So my sister invited me to her classroom. She teaches behavior disorder students um, that are on the special ed spectrum as well. And they're in junior high. And I will tell you, junior high has never been my forte. I prefer little kids. Junior high is scary. It's just scary. And so she said, hey, I have this social skills class. We work on um, things like manners, not using curse words during general communication, how we can handle hard situations. Would you be willing to come in for a week and work on etiquette with the students? I love to host at my house. And so I think she thought, you know, that would be appropriate. You can teach them about hosting. And so I went into the classroom and uh, my heart was beating out of my chest for a multitude of reasons. The kids are all bigger than me. You know, I'm like a whopping five, two on a good day. And kids are tall these days. And so I feel very small in the room already. They also have a very much different lived experience than I do. And honestly, like there was already lockers that had slammed in the hallway and a few FUs tossed out. Vocabulary is a big thing in junior high. (laughs) And so in the classroom though, throughout the course of the week, what was absolutely astonishing to me is that kids are kids no matter what no matter what their lived experiences are and how grown they must be either on the streets or in their own home, they are still children. And so by being there for five days straight and showing up on time and not leaving until they had walked out the door, shaking their hands at the doorway, they formed this sense of trust with me that they didn't have to give me. 
But what it communicated to me was that if we can keep showing up for the kids that are in our world or the kids that are right outside of our bubble, we have the opportunity to have such a great impact on them. And it doesn't have to be a kid that's in need or a kid that's has a behavior disorder or a kid that's on the special ed spectrum. It can just be a kid that is different from you. And so if you give to them, they're going to give back to you tenfold. And if we as adults could learn from kids as much as we try to teach them, we would be much more beautiful humans. Katie, I like to end it like that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great place to end it. What a cool experience. It was really cool. And it was scary as hell. Like there were some times that I was like, that kid might bash my head into a table. It really did feel like that sometimes. <laughs> but at the same time, I learned so much about the psyche of children who have had you know, kind of rough lives or just their behaviors in general that are hard for them to control. Mm -hmm. Like I had one kid, Denise, that popped up out of his chair. There was something happening in the hallway and I had my back to it and he popped up, came around my chair and stood like right behind my shoulder. And I just reassured him like, you can come sit back down. It's fine. You know, I'm, I'm it's good. It wasn't until after class that I finally figured out. So his protective nature set in of like, get behind her, protect her, but he can't communicate it. And so it was one of those. And then for the rest of the week, that was on Tuesday, the rest of the week, I watched him so closely. Like he always had a focus on the door. So his back was never to a door. He always kind of stood so that people couldn't get behind him. It was so interesting. Like if you have any interest in psychology, it was so intriguing to watch yeah. it all. And then it was nice though, because, you know, Alana has 15 kids that are, I mean, it's like a rodeo in there, you know, so she cannot get to know all of them on a real personal level. So it was nice for her at the end of the week, like we went through each student and what I observed and she was like, oh, he needs to be in the back of the room all the time. I've been trying to get him to come up front to like get him to open up. That's not what he needs to open up. That's going oh. to make him more tense. But man, I feel bad for classroom teachers. They don't have time to work on all that. Shouldn't even have time to get through the lesson plans. Right, right. It's a wild, wild world out there. Katie, thank you for giving me an hour of your yeah. wild, wild world. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Denise. <laughs> thank you for listening to On a Mother Level, the podcast for moms who can relate. I'm your host, Denise Hanitka, and you can find me on Instagram at Denise WQAD and find the show page at On a Mother Level. And don't forget to share this episode with a friend. You have been listening to the WQAD Podcast Network.